Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. <laughs> Very nearly forgot the slogan then. Oh well. <laughs> I am Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 7, Careful the Things You Say. Yes. I really enjoyed this episode, so I'm quite looking forward to getting into it. I really enjoyed this episode too, so I will be doing the overview, and B will be giving us his trivia, and from the sounds of it, when he was hunting for it, he had some good stuff, so what have you got? Yeah, I think it's pretty good. So this one was written by Peter Lefcourt and Jason Ganzel, directed by Bethany Rooney, and it first aired on the 6th of November 2009. You're right, that was really good. So on this week, from Monday the 2nd of November to Sunday the 8th of November, the number one songs were the same as the previous week, again, which were Fireflies by Owl City in the US and Fight for This Love by Cheryl Cole in the UK. So on Thursday the 5th of November, the US Army Major Nadal Malik Hassan, a US Army Medical Corps, killed 13 and wounded 43 at Fort Hood, Texas, in the largest mass shooting ever at a US military installation. Oh, God. So I'm sorry to start off so heavy, but it does get nicer from there on, but that was a moment. That was a moment, yes. And considering that we've just recently had another school shooting, I felt it wrong to not mention it. Yes, and whilst we're at it, obviously, at the point of recording a couple of days ago was the National Trans Day of Visibility, Uh, so this is just a little note on top of the Instagram story that I posted, just to clarify that we stand worldwide across across the world with all of our trans siblings, and just know that you have two fans here, and we condemn the horrible anti- drag and anti-trans legislation that's currently going on in America right now. Yeah, and anyone in the LGBT community that doesn't stand with you is trash. (laughs) (laughs) I did a really heartfelt little thing there, and then B just sends it on trash. (laughs) Well, there you go. On Friday the 6th of November, The Fourth Kind, directed by Brian D. Renner and starring Mila Jovovich, was released, which was a film that I thoroughly enjoyed at the time when I was going through my found footage phase yeah i really loved it too i remember going to the cinema to see it and absolutely loved it but now i don't think it's well very well received it doesn't hold up no on the 9th of november 2009 the album only revolutions by biffy clyro was released as well as echo by leona lewis and the tv series miranda written by and starring miranda hart premiered on bbc2 oh my god And the title of this episode, Careful the Things You Say, is a lyric from the song Children Will Listen, which is from the musical Into the Woods. Yes. I'll be honest, I didn't look it up. I just knew. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's one of the... We've been singing it quite a bit, so yeah. We know know that song. I like that song. I like that show. Mm. The episode reunites Terry Hatcher with Kathy Najimy after they both appeared in the 1991 film Soap Dish. Was Kathy Najimy in this? Episode. Oh, she what that was, Kathy Najimy. She was, and I did some trivia on Kathy Najimy, but I'm going to do it in episode when we get there. Oh my god, I can't even believe I, I did not even register that that was her. Yeah, it's her. It's definitely her. Oh my god. <laughs> but I'm going to do that when we get to Susan's story. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Because... Honestly, what a wonderful character. Mm. (laughs) It was. She was such a good character. But we'll get there. Mm. And that's the end of the trivia. So far. The end of the trivia so so far. far. Yeah, so far. (laughs) 
So, previously on Desperate Housewives, Susan got upset with Lynette for not telling her Julie thought she was pregnant. Carl gave Brie a brooch. Brie lied about where she bought it from. And Orson has now sort of found out that Brie lied. And Angie planted a seed of suspicion in Susan about Catherine in the hopes of trying to get Catherine off her back. Yes. Uh, So, we'll start with Gabby because Gabby has a fairly irrelevant storyline to the overall season story yeah it's quite insular Mm. so gabby is once again struggling to homeschool juanita and this time they're doing fractions which nobody likes fractions let's face it so gabby tries to make it more practical uh, by threatening to tear her doll apart as a teaching aid and this is when carlos enters and ruins all the fun yeah he just has to walk in at that moment yeah i know so he appreciates apparently that gabby is having to do everything so he offers her a housekeeper but gabby would much rather get a tutor however carlos refuses and tells gabby juanita needs her uh you're wrong <laughs> quite frankly get yeah. her a tutor yeah if she's asked for a tutor then get her a tutor i think juanita would be much better off with someone that is trained yeah quite frankly you can afford a tutor so your weird parenting view here is just really unnecessary yeah and it really like really bothered me when carlos was like you'd rather clean toilets and spend time with your daughter no that's not what i'm saying but also yes so Gabby is struggling to teach Juanita fractions again, and she tries all the tricks she can think of, including offering to take Juanita out for ice cream if she does the work. But Juanita isn't interested, and at being turned down for ice cream, Gabby leaves to get some air. After some time, Gabby comes back in and finds that Juanita has got all the answers right, and assuming that she cheated, she tries to make Juanita confess, but she tells her mum that Ivana helped her. Who's Ivana? Uh, so Ivana is the housekeeper. Uh, it turns out that Ivana is quite a good tutor, and we have a clip. Math is my specialty. I have a PhD in engineering from the University of Bucharest, but it means nothing in the American job market, so... Wow, a doctor. Impressive. Oh, the upstairs bathroom has a bunch of hair stuck in the drain. Can you take care of that? Mom, this next page doesn't make sense. I need help. Doctor! Uh, I'm thinking that drain can wait. What are the chances that the one housekeeper you get just happens to be a doctor? Yeah, and Gabby really embarrasses herself right away when she's like, if you don't start studying, you'll end up cleaning toilets. Yeah, Gabby says that right at the beginning of the scene. Look, I know that the idea of studying is that you get into a quite well-paid job where you can use your brain, but we really need to stop teaching children You need to study, otherwise you're going to get some low-paid, demeaning job, because it's just embarrassing at this point. Yeah, I know, because no job is really demeaning. Yeah. If you're working, and you're working for a living, then good for you. I just want to bring up some trauma I have, actually. So, when I was in in school, I I I wasn't very good at science, and when I answered a question wrong, my teacher said, it's not funny, everyone, because everyone laughed. Because it'll be funny in a few years when he's asking you if you want fries on the side with that. And this kind of like rings back to that. And I think we need to stop with this. We need to stop saying if you don't study hard, you're going to end up in some demeaning job. I'm sorry to laugh at your trauma because that is horrible. Like what that teacher did was absolutely awful and humiliating and absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, I'm just like, damn, is that teacher gay? Because he just read you. No. (laughs) Teacher absolutely read you. No, but he ended up having an affair, becoming an alcoholic and he's dead now. Oh, well, good for him. So I guess the joke's on him, but also rest in peace because I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Well, no, of course not. 
But, you know, at the same time, even if you're serving up fries, no big deal. A job's a job at the end of the day. So, could we, yeah, like B says, we need to stop using certain careers as, like, an embarrassment tool. I mean, I have a degree, and I'm doing pretty low-paid admin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, getting a degree doesn't guarantee you anything. Right, and I have zero degree, and I'm a manager. Yeah. Like, so, Carlos comes home to a messy house. And is confused as to what Ivana has been doing all day, but Gabby makes up an excuse to explain away the mess, not telling Carlos that the housekeeper is much better as a tutor. Well, she basically says, well, I wanted to get to know her first. So she she kind of implies like, oh, you know, we've been chatting and getting to know each other all day. Yeah, which then if I was Carlos would be like, so you've not been tutoring Juanita either? Yeah. Like, the house was disgusting. It didn't look like it had been cleaned for days. I know. Why were there so many pans? What did you do for lunch? I've got no no idea. (laughs) So, Gabby and Juanita are starting to get along once again, but Ivana doesn't turn up this morning. Some other rando does. And it turns out Carlos called the cleaning agency to request another cleaner because Ivana was clearly crap. (laughs) Yeah, another decision that he's made without consulting Gabby. Right? Like, if I was Gabby, I'd be really irritated because I'd be like, excuse me, me and Ivana bonded. We were friends. (laughs) So Gabby finds Ivana's new work address and begs her to come back to teach Juanita because everyone is happier that way. But Ivana doesn't want to get in trouble again. So Gabby ends up cleaning whilst Ivana teaches Juanita. Yeah, I know that this is played for laughs, but it did. I found it a bit disturbing that they gave Gabby the address. Mm. And I was just like, these people are so mistreated. Isn't that like GDPR as well? I mean, like if I was yeah. the owner of that property, I would not be happy with this cleaning company. But if if I was Ivana, I would be yeah. unhappy. Like you're telling people where I work. Yeah, I know. What if Gabby was a stalker? So all's all's well that ends well so far. Ivana's now teaching Juanita again secretly behind Carlos's back. I hope um, she's paying her for that. I would very much imagine that she is. Mm. Uh, So Gabby comes home in a rush, yelling for Ivana to leave before Carlos comes home. But it's too (laughs) late. He's already here and Ivana has left. And Gabby explains that she is going to teach Juanita so many things in life, like clothes and makeup and how to get boys to notice her. But, you know, none of this crap, none of the fractions and history and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. None of the pointless stuff. The curric- be- Yeah, nothing that's on a curriculum. That's all trash. Yeah, she'll be teaching Juanita the important things in life. But because Juanita knows that Gabby doesn't know any of this sort of curriculum stuff, it's causing a rift between them. And they both end up getting frustrated at each other. So Carlos says that they'll figure something out and Gabby can stop homeschooling her now. It's kind of funny because in a previous episode, you said... What happens when Juanita starts to surpass Gabby? Mm. <laughs> and it's already happened. Yeah, it's it's already happened. Yeah. But anyway, so that's Gabby's story. It was yeah. a, fun, a fun little sort of side adventure that she went on. Which only had, had us with like three different tangents getting deep about like five different things. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Orson and Brie are heading to dinner with Angie and Nick. And Brie isn't looking forward to it because apparently she doesn't like Angie. Yeah, which is no surprise. They're very different people. No, not really. Orson finds her to be, like, earthy and, like, full of charm. And I can't remember the exact words he uses. Orson thinks that she's hot. Yeah. So Orson decides to ask Brie where she got the brooch again, as the place she said last time doesn't do jewellery. So Brie thinks of another place. And at dinner, Brie seems to be rather impressed with Angie's cooking. And Nick suggests that Brie hires her to replace Catherine. So Orson goes to accept, but Brie quickly chimes in, claiming that they, they aren't looking for anybody. And then Nick won't let it go. So then Angie and Nick start yelling at each other at the dinner table. 
Yeah, so this is this is their as neighbors of the season. This is their quirk. They're sort of loud and embarrassing around people. Yeah, it's brilliant. But also, Brie, again, you're being too specific with your lies to Orson. Just say, oh, my mistake, I must have got it from another store. You don't have to name the specific store. Yeah, I know, this is the problem. Brie. But yeah, so Angie ends up storming off to the kitchen after her little argument with Nick because now she thinks that Nick's made it look like she's only cooked for Brie because she's got a bit of an angle and she wants to be hired. And so Nick then goes up to get wine and then Brie begs Orson to unbutton his pants. I mean, that was probably the case, though. She probably did just do this whole thing because she wanted a job. No, probably not. She probably just wants to get to know the neighbours. <laughs> but, so, Bree is meeting potential clients who don't seem to be too impressed with her fancy... Well, the husband isn't too impressed with the fancy food. And they go to leave, but Bree offers to cater for them with her secret Italian family recipes, offering to feed them all until the men can't button their pants. Um... Look, there's nothing wrong with having certain tastes, but when the guy says, have you got any food I can pronounce? Mm. And then he says about how his 500 guests wouldn't want this. It kind of annoyed me because why have you come to Brie if you don't like what is on her menu? Because the wife clearly likes what's on the menu. But this is where the disconnect is. The wife's like, oh my God, like uh, he doesn't know anything about this sort of stuff. And then he's like, the 500 guests are all coming from the Bronx. You know, they don't know this kind of food. But then why is the wife wanting this kind of food? Surely if the wife is throwing the anniversary party with you, for the two of you, and most of your guests aren't going to eat food like this, why bother looking for food like this? Men are trash. (laughs) This is a man thing, isn't it? It is so stupid. So Brie figures out their descent, essentially. They question her descent as well, which also really kind of annoyed me a little bit. They question her what? Her descent. Oh, like her... Because she's like, oh, you know, I can make you this and this and this family recipes, like all these authentic Italian dishes. And then the wife's like, you're Italian, you don't look it. Uh, bitch, uh, please. <laughs> um, excuse me, I know this is a different time, but you don't say that to people. But also, Brie, again with the lies, yeah. can't you just say, I know how to make many authentic Italian dishes? I am a chef. But she doesn't. Oh, Brie, you're such a mess And <laughs> in this she... season. She was perfectly fine to let them go, I guess, until she heard that it was going to be a dinner for 500. Oh, yeah, the dollar bills are in the eyes. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Bree's Mr. Krabs. But she is Mr. Krabs. (laughs) (laughs) I like money. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, now Bree's on a bit of a time constraint to try and get some authentic Italian recipes. So who does she go to? She goes to Angie, and she's made Angie a thank you gift for the other night in the hopes of buttering her up so she can get those recipes. But apparently Angie's grandmother was very strict about sharing them. So Brie makes up some sob story to pull pull at Angie's heartstrings, and it works. And she makes Brie promise not to pass them around. And then Brie's like, trust me, I would treat these recipes as if they were my own. Yeah, Brie has a bit of a nasty habit of taking credit for other people's works and creations, doesn't she? She really does. And she comes over with cookies. This is the weirdest thing. It's the most suburban thing I've ever seen in my life. And she comes over with cookies to thank Brie for the shortbread that Brie gave Angie to thank her for the dinner. I think Angie's kind of overdoing it. Yeah. She's like, oh, I just brought you these cookies to say thank you for that amazing shortbread. And Brie's like, but I only gave you the shortbread to thank you for the dinner. (laughs) Yeah, it's got my head in a whirl because I'm like, I know that she wants to come across as neighbourly and she's like trying to do extra PR control because of the whole gun thing. Mm. And she doesn't want to come across as weird because she's got big dark secrets that we don't talk about. 
But also, I'm just like, but she's also coming across as really sweet. And it's doing, it's like... This is why I love Angie. For the very reason that Orson said he loves Angie. She's just got this earthy charm to her. Like, yeah, she's got secrets and she's dodgy. And she's a little bit manipulative and whatever. But also, she says it how it T.I. is. And I absolutely love that. You know, I say that so much that I almost feel like I need to make a st- I need to make a sting of when Danny Boland's like, we have big dog secrets that we don't talk about. Yeah, I know. As Angie can smell that Bree is cooking Italian food. And, and see it. Yeah, and obviously <laughs> see it because there's so much of it. And Bree's clearly trying to hide the fact that she's cooking a lot. But Angie insists on helping. And then she starts to notice the odd amounts of food. And then she finds the party menu. And we have a clip. You were stealing my recipes for a catering job. I wanted to serve foie gras. The client demanded pasta. So you come running to me with some sob story about a burn victim who can only be healed by money got? I admit that was a bit tacky. I lit a candle for that woman! If you think about it, it was a huge compliment. And the compliment is that my food is good enough for your business, but I'm not. I would never say you weren't good enough. Of course you wouldn't. You're tactful. But you know what? I'm not, which is why I can say that you're a two-faced, condescending bitch who will never make a nickel off my dead grandma's threshold. Oh, and we had to cut it out, but I love the bit where she's like, but enjoy your cookies. Oh, I was literally about to say, she storms out, she's like, but enjoy the cookies. (laughs) Which is just perfect. So, um, Angie obviously storms off taking her recipes and leaving Brie a little bit screwed. Rightfully so. so. I love when people call out Brie. Yeah, I know. Two-faced, condescending bitch. Oh. At the loss of Angie's recipes, Brie is struggling to make the good Italian food now, and she's stressed, and the last thing she needs is Orson, which is why he walks in. And he tells her that he's found the brooch, but Brie really doesn't have time for this right now, and eventually she snaps and tells Orson that she wants out of the marriage, and she can't be bought with trinkets. Which is correct, and kind of also implies to Orson that everything she'd been saying up to this point has been a lie. Kind of serves him right, though. Yeah. She can't cook gnocchi. And then she just lets him have it. Yeah, I know. He was a little bit nice in that scene in the, the sense that, you know, he was trying to downplay the fact that her knocky was really bad. Yeah, but she's like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be with you. Fuck off. Yeah, just just <laughs> get out of here. Leave me alone. But also, when Brie can't cook something well, she becomes a bit of a monster. <laughs> she really does. It's quite a trend. You know what? I'm actually questioning Bree's abilities. Like, she couldn't do the sugar stuff. She can't do gnocchi. No, she wasn't very good at the sponge sugar netting, was she? In fact, what can you make, Bree? What what do you do successfully? <laughs> Quickly. Because <laughs> this show is making me wonder now how good Bree really is when she doesn't have support. Yeah. Bree goes to Angie's to apologise and tell her that she was right and finally ask her to join her company. But before Angie agrees, she asks Bree one question, which is, why don't you like me? And Brie tries to BS her, but Angie isn't buying it. So Brie's honest and tells Angie that she makes her uncomfortable because she's so candid. And then she opens up to her about her marriage to Orson. And Brie doesn't believe Angie can keep anything to herself, which Angie laughs off. And she agrees to work for Brie. Yeah, when Angie said, if there's one thing I know how to do, it's keep things to myself. Brie must have been like, um, uh, really? <laughs> You're the loudest woman I know. Right. But it's an act. And then you've got Bob over across the road, like, but I know you've got secrets. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You've not really kept that to yourself. Your son was literally, literally yelling about it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was Bree's story. So, we'll move on to Lynette's now. And Julie keeps dreaming about Nick, and we see how their love affair started. And apparently she met Nick tutoring Danny, which 
we can all assume was the case anyway. They bumped into each other at a cafe where they got to talking and they kept meeting after that until suddenly they were having an affair. But apparently after the pregnancy scare, she realized what she was doing and broke it off. But Nick doesn't really do too well with being told no. <laughs> yeah. So Julie and Nick are inside Susan's place arguing. And that's when Lynette turns up and overhears them and interrupts them by knocking on the door. Julie is clearly upset and she uses this as an opportunity to get rid of Nick. And once he goes, she tells Lynette that he's the married guy that she was seeing. And now Lynette's not very happy about getting this juicy information. As last time she knew something about Julie, Susan got really pissed. Yeah, I love Lynette when she's just like, why did you tell me? I have to go to work. I would have believed anything. Like, (laughs) I don't want to, like, this is too much. Like, she's not... She's not like us, where she hears the tea and she's like, ooh. I know, right? I'd be like, oh my god, really? Girl. (laughs) Also, I just, okay, let's talk about the, we need to talk about the timeline, because, I mean, it is possible that this all did happen, but it just, it's such a quick turnaround. So, she meets Nick when she tutors Danny. Yep. And then, they start having the affair, and Danny notices this, Danny gets pissed off, she turns him down, then she gets the pregnancy scare... And then she gets, and obviously she goes to the net about it. And then there's the strangulation, and then she's in the hospital. Which again, the strangulation is the end of episode one. Yeah, and she's written about all of this in her diary, but she's referring to him as D. And I'm like, hold on, because I got the feeling she was having an affair with him for a while. Mm-hmm. But surely episode one isn't that long. Well, yeah, because at the very beginning of episode one, we saw Nick, Danny, and Angie see the house didn't we was that the beginning of episode one or was that the end of season five no i'm pretty sure that was episode one i don't think we met angie in the last season no but either way i was like this is a very quick turnaround. you, you bring up a really valid um, point this timeline for me is I'm, i have questions i'm like this is so quick did we did this really all happen in the space of like episode one yeah because they imply like this has been going on for a while unless it really was just that quick but i don't know and then turning down Danny in episode one, yep. which I'm assuming because she was with Nick, because that's why he got annoyed as well. And then her Nick's talking to Julie was really weird in that episode, and I thought that was because of the affair, which we found out later. So I was like, this all doesn't really add up yeah. very well. It's all a bit weird. I don't think that was because of the affair when Nick was talking to Julie in episode one. I think that was kind of implying that there was something there between them, like they there was like a flirtation there. And then after that, they bumped into each other at a cafe because that was Julie tutoring Danny. Then they bump into each other at a cafe, sit down and get to talking. That flirtation increases and then they have the affair. I think that was like the start of it. I also have to call into question because if they ran into each other at a cafe, which I'm assuming was after her interaction with him when she's tutoring Danny, Mm. when he was really creepy and weird and a bit nasty about Danny... And I'm like, there was no flirtation vibes. Are you telling me that you got with him and you you flirted after that incident? That's mm. fucking weird, Julie. Yeah, well, Julie's weird. She's clearly got daddy issues. Clearly. <laughs> so Julie begs Lynette not to say anything because it's over. But Nick won't take no for an answer because he loves her. And Julie is incredibly honest with Lynette about how she feels about Nick and how hard she is finding the situation. And Lynette tells Julie not to worry because she's going to go handle it and tells Julie that she won't tell Susan either. Oh, Queen Lynette. It was such a really nice scene between the two of them. It's really nice to see the like the housewives from the very beginning of the show interacting with Julie like she's an adult and not like one of the, the kids that grew up. Yeah, I was going to save this to the end, but I really love the dynamic between Lynette, Tom and Julie in this episode yeah as characters who have seen her grown up but as actors 
who have seen her as at such a young age from season one growing up mm. it's just lovely it really is really nice i think I, I get the vibe that the whole cast really kind of loved julie like julie was like the Rightly the wonder so. girl <laughs> i know she's just oh my god she's such a sweetheart it gives me that feeling of that moment when i realized i was old enough to be in on the family conversations yeah and hearing about all of that sort of stuff and finally being treated like an adult by family friends and and stuff like that so lynette comes over to speak to nick First interrupted by Angie, but they get rid of her. And then Lynette tells Nick that she knows and warns him that Carl won't be happy if he finds out and ends her chat by telling him to stay away from Julie or he'll be sorry. She then goes to leave, but Nick follows her, blaming all of this on Julie, claiming that she came after him and that he tried to resist, but she wore him down. But, yeah, I know, it's really gross. But Lynette doesn't care and just wants him to leave her alone. And then Nick friends her if he finds out she told anyone else. And Lynette walks home and tells Tom she might know who strangled Julie. Yeah. Oh, Lynette was such a badass in this scene. Right yeah, I know. But he's given me stalker energy. Um, he's given me paedophile energy. Obviously, Julie's old enough where he's not a paedophile. But Toxic this, this masculine. is the kind of mentality they use. Like, oh, she came after me. And it's like, you're, yeah. you are the older one. You are the mature party. You know it's wrong. Don't Toxic be gross. masculinity vibes here. Like, she wore me down. Like, I tried to resist her, but her womanly wiles, it, it's all her fault. No, I'm sorry, man. You you have a brain. You can think for yourself. Okay, really, I, this mentality about men just being incapable of holding back its biology and women are taking advantage of the bio- biology thing with the men. <laughs> no, no, you have <laughs> a brain. Off. You know yeah. it's wrong. Yeah, so... Lynette and Tom are talking to Julie about Nick being a possible suspect, but Julie isn't having it and doesn't believe he would do that. And they tell Julie that they have to tell the police. Yeah. I'm sorry, but what the fuck is Julie on about? This is the second time that she said, it can't be him. I don't see how it could be him. He's so lovely. And I'm like, "Uh, not from what I've seen. Right. And Lynette's clearly there thinking, lovely. What the fuck? (laughs) Like, we've seen how he talks to Lynette. We've seen how he talks to Danny. He's a fucking weirdo. What on earth is she on about? Yeah, I know. So, I don't know. I think that Julie's just trying to... um, She's refusing to believe that he could... Like, someone that she felt so deeply for, clearly, um, would be capable of doing something like that. She's burying her head in the sand. Well, he's manipulated her as well. He is, yeah. He's he's manipulated her. Yeah, he has. So, Tom and Lynette are at the station wanting to talk to an officer about the new information they have regarding Nick... And they tell them everything, but apparently Nick never mentioned that he was having an affair with Julie when they interviewed him already. Well, of course he didn't. Exactly. <laughs> this so, is brand new information. So now the police are a bit suspicious. They're like, that's suspicious. Mm. Yeah. So instead of cowering, her and Tom go straight to the police because Lynette is a badass. Right? He's there like, you'll be sorry if anybody, if I find out that you've told anyone. And she's like, I'm not just going to tell anyone. I'm telling the police. <laughs> bring it (laughs) yeah right so after tom and lynette talk to the police nick comes home to find a happy angie because she's now got a job and she also throws in that the cops called to ask where he was the night of julie's attack which leaves nick quite confused and apparently angie then announces that she's known about the affair for weeks but angie knows there's nothing they can do because neither of them seem to be able to go anywhere so they just have to deal with it so nick apologizes and angie is giving nick this one as she says that she knows she's put him through a lot and she tells him that she lied and told the cops that he was with her the entire night and then she punches Nick in the face and they call it even. It was crazy. She's the most forgiven woman ever. Was because but she... it's because they're in a situation. The, yeah, the situation they're in. She's like, I can't go anywhere and you can't go anywhere so we kind of just have to deal with the fact that 
you know, this has happened. Loved her punching him. Oh, God, it was so satisfying. Excellent. Like, so satisfying. Maybe Angie should be a detective. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Lynette's story. So Susan and Mike are at the police station telling the police to now interview Catherine and treat her like a suspect. But the police don't believe Catherine would be capable of committing this type of crime because women tend to prefer to kill without the need for physical violence. So poisons, cars firearms all that sort of stuff yeah they're sticking to statistics so they're not thinking outside the box no but to be fair most police officers tend to have the mentality of statistics don't lie yeah mike backs susan up claiming Catherine does have a motive but the police kind of find it laughable just like we did at the end of the last episode that anyone would mistake susan for a 23 year old yeah the the laugh the laugh you think that she could have mistaken you to her for a 23 year old Susan yells out for someone to help uh, because the police seem to only be focused more on their sandwiches right now. And a female detective chimes in offering to help and Susan leaves a happy bunny. But it turns out that Susan and this female detective go way back. Yeah, because she she talks about it to the men, doesn't she? She's like, she doesn't recognize me, but But she she will. will. But she will. So that is Detective Denise Lapira. Sorry, I I thought that I wrote down how to pronounce it because it comes up as a thing. Yeah. The first time, and this is my trivia. So she's played by Kathy Najimy. Kathy is an actress born on the 6th of Feb, 57, very close to my birthday, Mm. and raised in San Diego, California. Kathy has been an LGBT activist since the age of 18, and she is a staunch liberal Democrat, and apparently she's still close friends with her sister at co-star, Wendy McKenna. Oh, cute. We know her from roles such as Sister Act, where she played Sister Mary Patrick, Hocus Pocus, where she played Mary, Mm -hmm. and King of the Hill, where she played Peggy Hill. But obviously for us, especially Sister Act and Hocus Pocus. And Hocus Pocus. And Hocus Pocus 2, if you've not seen it yet. Yeah, but we don't need to talk about that. No, we really don't. She was fine in that, but I don't want to talk about um, Hocus Pocus 2. No. I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone agrees that she's the best part of Sister Act. Yeah. And um, I mean, one of the best parts of Hocus Pocus. She's just very talented in these comedic roles. She is incredibly talented. Yeah, this character kathy as this character mm. such a great addition to this episode so it's so good i did not even recognize that it was her i just thought she was hilarious she was so this detective is around susan's house and susan is explaining to her the details of the night in question and why she thinks it might be Catherine. however denise which we find out is her name isn't writing any of this down because she's more interested in the fact that susan doesn't remember her she's less than a meter away from susan And Susan has not clocked it. It's so awkward. Yeah, I know. Because Susan was probably like the popular pretty girl. And she was probably the weird, awkward one that nobody remembers at school. No offense. But, you know, some of you were those weird, awkward ones that after you leave school, no one's going to remember you. I was thinking, Susan, did you bully her? Because I can can feel it coming. We can feel it coming, can't we? Like the way that she, the, the way that Denise ended the previous scene where she was like she doesn't remember me but she will does not imply that they were really good friends (laughs) so (laughs) yeah (laughs) apparently they went to fairview high together and susan claims to remember her now and they have an awkward crawl down memory lane but it seems denise is jealous of susan's life and apparently she is single and lives in her mother's basement and likes to bowl (laughs) yeah Susan steers the conversation back to Catherine, but Denise claims not to need anything else. And before she leaves, Susan asks her to maybe withhold who um, suspects Catherine to avoid any drama on the lane. Oh, yeah. Which doesn't sit well with her, really. It does not sit well with Denise. You can tell in the face. 
So Susan is staring out of a window, waiting for Denise to leave Catherine's, because apparently she's been over there a long time, and Mike is looking through Susan's yearbook in the hopes that she might remember Denise better. And it works, and it turns out Susan was not very nice to her at school. Um, I do find it hard to believe that Denise was the only girl that hated Susan at school. Oh no, like, of course Su- not. Susan said to Mike, Denise LaPera, she was the only girl that hated me at school. And I was like, lies. Absolute lies, Susan. Yeah, but Susan's the kind of girl where she's like, everyone, everyone... loves me. And she probably legitimately believes it. Yeah. Apparently, everyone knows Denise as Moose at school because of Susan. And Susan also stole her boyfriend, which then makes Susan freak out because Denise and Catherine now have a common enemy, which is Susan. But when Mike says, this is a long time ago, nobody holds a grudge that long. I just thought, oh, Mike, you're so naive. Yeah. That's only someone who was never bullied would even say that. Yeah. And also men. Yeah, no one has a no, grudge for that long. I, I oh, don't... we all live and learn and move on. It's like, oh, Mike, you know nothing. You are the you are the school, I don't know, football, basketball yeah, player, he would whatever. Yeah, he would have been like the football star, like on the football team, hot, the sexy one that people like, the bad, he would have been the bad boy. He probably just skated by. He doesn't yeah. have a clue. Yeah, Susan also believes that Denise is going to blame her for stealing her boyfriend and then Susan tries to make up an excuse about how she didn't steal the boyfriend and she was like oh it was totally not my fault like he came back you know they went on one date and then he dumped her for me it was all him he dumped her for me yeah but you went out of him didn't you Susan yeah exactly so Mike tries to calm Susan down and tell her not to worry and then Susan watches Denise and Catherine walk out of the house and at first they think oh like it's she's being arrested that's a perp walk and then Denise and Catherine hug and Denise it looks more like off. a perp hug. <laughs> yeah, she hugs Catherine and you're just like, oh shit. <laughs> so Susan is trying to butter up the male detectives to convince them to take Julie's case again because she doesn't believe that Denise is up to the job. Yeah. And this is when Moose walks in. Why don't you call me Moose? You know, you want to. So Susan, which then actually gets the entire police office laughing at her but the problem is that the she, problem she's is... so in her feelings that she's gonna be like now susan's ruined my work life <laughs> yeah i know and i'm like but denise you mentioned it yeah susan called you denise you were the one that was like call me moose why don't you <laughs> so susan tries to apologize for school and for trying to get her kicked off of the case just now as well uh, but moose doesn't seem to be capable of letting bygones be bygones however she apparently knows how to do her job and can confirm that Catherine was not the one to strangle julie but talking to Catherine apparently uncovered some secrets like the attempted murder of Catherine in the middle of the lane in the middle of the night yeah apparently not reporting a gunshot wound that you inflicted upon someone by accident is actually a crime not reporting it is a crime I loved it. Like, Moose is reveling in the fact that she has something over Susan and is able to arrest her. She's just loving it. Mm. And then sadly, what I find quite sad, she like locks Susan up in the jail and then locks it. And then she's like, you know what this is called, Susan? Closure. And then she walks off and laughs. And it kind of makes me really sad that she doesn't laugh like a moose. No, but she cackles. (laughs) (laughs) She locks Susan in a jail cell and then cackles away. And I was just like, it's the best scene in the whole show, hands down so far. I was like, this is proper 
like revenge fantasy oh yeah for all of us and it's so nice to see susan in jail and we actually got to see this side of denise earlier in the susan story because when they're going down memory lane they're talking about their old english teacher and susan's like i wonder what ever happened to him and denise is like oh actually i arrested him mm. a little while ago and i even got to taser him and so she's there like reveling in the fact that oh actually i see all of these people from from you know my past and i love the fact that they're fucking up in life <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in real life, these kind of people aren't funny, and it is kind of terrifying. Yeah. But to see Susan locked up is brilliant. Yeah, I would <laughs> and agree. And I absolutely loved it. <laughs> so we end the episode with Mary Alice talking to us about books and how they can only teach us so much. And we see a happy Gabby now that she doesn't have to homeschool Juanita anymore. Uh, Brie brushing up on her Italian cooking from an Italian cookbook. Lynette watching Nick from afar, and I guess her link to her book is the fact that she sat on the porch reading yeah whilst looking at nick maybe so that's her loose connection to a book and susan stuck in jail and then the little person walks past and they're like anything from the trolley and then she takes crime and punishment because cliche do they really do that because surely she's only going to be in the jail cell for like the night or something right yeah still give her a book also crime and punishment how long do you think you're going to be in there susan it's so cliche that she picked crime and punishment why didn't she pick like I don't know, another book that's not Crime and Punishment. <laughs> Crime and Punishment's like 600 pages. Why would you pick that one? Maybe she's a fast reader. She's like, I'm not sleeping tonight. But anyway, that is the episode. Yeah, it was a good episode. It was fun. So we're now going to move on to the next segment where Joel's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moments of the episode. Starting with gayest moment. So my award for gayest moment. <laughs> goes to moose yeah for stalking the people that she went to school with and then like realizing that she can just arrest them whenever she wants i mean what's gayer than revenge i know it was oh my god she's living my best revenge fantasy of all the bullies she said like yeah this asshole made me read beowulf so i tasered him and oh susan started this whole rumor about me being a moose and she stole my boyfriend so i stuck her in jail we love a revenge fantasy we do yeah it's not i mean obviously it's not healthy but it's fun (laughs) And then what do you have for straightest moment? So my award for straightest moment <laughs> It goes to Nick. Yeah. For blaming his affair on Julie like that. Um yeah, fair. It was just like, oh god, it was all Julie. She lured me in. She's she's a black widow. She's a deceitful whore. I mean it, Jezebel. Yeah. It's very straight man cheating on his wife getting found out vibes, isn't it? Yeah. Women like her are the reason that we all got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Yeah, it's a bit, (laughs) yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit Handmaid's Tale attitude. It is very Handmaid's Tale attitude. Women are always to blame. Yeah. Mm. And now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parent. So why are you giving the best and worst parents to Gabby? I'm not yet. Um, (laughs) So my award for best parent of the episode goes to Lynette and Tom for going to the police rather than being scared of a, a threat by a puny tiny man. Yeah, no, credit to you. I was sat here thinking there wasn't really any parenting, only came from Gabby, so she <laughs> must have the best and worst. But no, you were correct. No, Lynette and Tom are great and yeah. it was a great dynamic. And who do you have for your worst parent? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. Goes to Carlos for firing the cleaner that was also Juanita's maths tutor. <laughs> he didn't know about that. <laughs> no, but he still fired her. Didn't he even, did. Didn't even talk to Gabby about it. And, bruv, that was her maths tutor. Yeah, he did that. 
Quite frankly, you've hindered her education for far too long now when you could have just hired a tutor. Right, Carlos is literally bringing Juanita down. Yeah, he's he's crap. Okay, well, bravo, bravo, fucking bravo. Yeah, so that was season six, episode seven, careful the things you say. So if anyone has any questions, queries, comments and theories, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com and the artwork is done by our friend Louis, who you can find on Instagram at DocRedMonkDesign, where there is a link to his Etsy page. Join us next time when we'll be back in your ear holes with season six, episode eight, the coffee cup. <gasps> what does it mean? I remember this episode. Yeah. So, see you then. See you then, guys. Bye. Bye.